I'm doing a term paper right now. <laughs> Excuse me while I do this term paper. <laughs> Did you go back to school and didn't tell me? We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello. Hello. And welcome. To Freudian Sips. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. That's our new thing. Yeah, we're going to do that. Every time. (laughs) This time, last time, last time I danced, this time we kind of did a thing with our hands. We like, we're motioning to each other. Yes. It is Bring the really, energy up. It's really quite a shame that y'all can't see what's happening here behind the mystery mics. Stay YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm kind of excited about today, but you're feeling a little feisty. I am, uh, yes, before we talk about today, I would like to talk about last week. Uh... <laughs> We're just going to do that remember, episode over again. Remember, remember last, last week? week? So if you didn't listen to last week, we talked about some experiments and mom talked about the Milgram obedience experiments or the shock experiments. And I forgot to mention that there is a really good movie called Experimenter about the Milgram experiments. And Jim Gaffigan is the man who is getting quote unquote shocked. Mm-hmm. So my husband was like, did you mention the movie? Because he really likes it. So I have not seen it, but he gives a strong endorsement to this film. So if if you are interested, I know I gave a movie recommendation for the Stanford experiment last week, but I also wanted to give a movie recommendation for Mom's experiment as well. Milgram experiment. She wasn't involved. Mom wasn't involved. I was going to say. She wasn't there. I did not direct <laughs> she, nor produce she, that particular movie. She wasn't there. Movie, so if you want more movie watching to do, there's one for that. And too. if you didn't listen to our last episode yet, that should really whet your whistle. Yes. That's a little after teaser. After teaser. That That's kind of the worst kind <laughs> of teasing. There's appetizers yeah. and after teasers. <laughs> it's just dessert. That's the worst kind of teaser. It's like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> we moved on. We moved on. So you're excited about this week. Why are you excited? I am. What I are we know. talking about? I just think it's really interesting. It is interesting. And it was a suggestion. That's of, true. Of one of our favorite sipsters. Yes, yes. The lovely Lauren actually went to grad school with us, so we know that she is very smart. She's lovely a smart Lauren. cookie. Lovely Lauren. That's her name. I, call, I called Bruce Baby Bruce. I guess I'm just going to do <laughs> it that from now on. <laughs> when you make suggestions, you get an alliterative nickname. Sorry. But yes, Lauren gave us this suggestion. Mm-hmm. And so what is her suggestion, Mom? What does she want us to talk we about? We are going to talk about hypnosis today. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we probably should have said that. <laughs> we should have vetted that before we tried it in our microphones. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you are feeling so very as sipsy. <laughs> as soon as Anna starts to talk about hypnosis, she gets a little feisty. I get a little bit of a tinfoil hat on when it comes to hypnosis. Mm. Although, not really. Like, when I really start looking into it, it's like, yeah, this makes sense. But just the kind of, I think that is 
a stigma that I have to deal with in my own mind of hypnosis just because of the way it's been portrayed in different things. But I mean, what it actually is, what we'll actually talk about. And actually, it was not my job today to research how hypnosis affects the brain. And perhaps if I had done that, I would give it more credence. So you're Mm -hmm. going to explain that a little later. So maybe after that, I will feel a little more like, oh, this is some science involved. (laughs) If I'm explaining it, probably not. But we can always hope. Is it that or you explain the history of it? No, thank you. apparently i'm the history person now well i told you you were the brain person but then you said well there's brains and history in this one we can't avoid it just gonna do all of it (laughs) i'm just gonna sit here and drink my wine all right i mean i will talk about the brain later but i would like to know about the history first anna okay okay so usually when we talk about the history of hypnosis it starts with a man called franz mesmer in the 18th century and his name might sound familiar because we get the term mesmerized from it and he started a thing called mesmerism that was basically around hypnosis so he was kind of the start of it and granted hypnosis has kind of been used for a long time throughout history because it's very close to what religions do for like meditation and stuff. Mm -hmm. So things like hypnotic trances have actually been used for millennia throughout different religions as a form of kind of transcendental stuff. So I'm not going to talk much about that because when it actually started to become the hypnosis that we know today was when Mesmer started it. So... This is where it gets weird. Mesmer believed that there was a magnetic force or fluid in the universe called animal magnetism, and it influenced the health of the body, and that diseases were a result of obstacles in the flow of the fluid in our body. Hmm. Yes. So It kind of almost sounds like chakras, you know, when you have blocks oh, in yeah, your chakra maybe. flows. Kind of a... <laughs> you're, no, that's very good. That's very the good. The whole blocking the flow thing. Yeah. yeah. So he basically experienced with magnets to affect this. So he would pass a magnet over people hmm. in an effort to get the blockages out, I guess. They were called mesmeric passes. But he eventually discovered that it worked without the magnet too. So just waving your hands over somebody Mm. would get the blockages out. I think he was a Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) The blockages are gone. Yes. When you would just wave his hand over them. And Mm. so obviously this idea doesn't hold a lot of water, but Mesmer built a really good rapport with the patients that he did this with. So he would actually be alleviating the symptoms of these people, I think, through kind of an early talk therapy. Because he would build up a really good rapport and, and he was really kind of good at what he did. So it was either placebo or he actually talked to them. I'm not sure what it was, but he did alleviate symptoms by doing this stuff well, that he was doing. if nothing else, if he was just getting them in a very relaxed state. That's true. And, you know, it's pretty well accepted that just being able to relax your body mm-hmm. lowers your blood pressure and eases your anxiety and all right. that good stuff. So. so there was something to what he was doing. Mm-hmm. The next one I'm going to hit is actually our... Wait, I got to ask you something. When you were talking, when you looked at... Me- I know you got lots to do because you're the historian Oh, gosh. Buff. Okay, yes. But did you see something about Ben Franklin? No. Because I didn't do much reading about the history because, you know, that's not my shtick. But, <laughs> but... It's not really my shtick I, I was actually watching, like, this little video thing about it. And when they were talking about Mesmer, like, part of the discrediting of Mesmer that they put out this, like, we're hot to prove that he's a fake... One of the people that worked on, like, trying to prove that he was a fake and discredit him was Ben Franklin. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was weird. 
It wasn't like in America because right. he was not in America, right? Where was he? Oh, I don't know. In Germany. I think it's I think it's Germany. It's, uh, German. He's a German word. physician. Ben Franklin was like, "No, we got to go to Germany. This guy has some <laughs> whack ideas. We got to fix it." I'm not sure how he got involved, but <laughs> just out flying a kite, upset. and someone was like, "Ben, there's some dude with some whack ideas." He said, "I will fix it." I'm the only one who's allowed to have whack ideas. <laughs> Okay, I didn't mean to get you off track. It's I just copyright <laughs> infringement if someone else has whack ideas. Okay, what's next then? Well, next is our good buddy Freud. Yay, Freud. Yeah, yeah. I will take a sip for him. Okay, take a Freudian sip for him. Mainly his involvement with what's called the Paris School. So I'm going to spit out some name game here. You can listen to our first episode if you are listening to this and you're like, I don't know who these people are. Because I'm going to talk about Jean-Martin Charcot and Pierre Genet. And these were people who were involved with the Paris School who uh, kind of Freud studied under. The Paris School has an incredibly French name that I am not going to try to pronounce, but it is colloquially called the Paris School. But it has a very, there's lots of, you know, when they put the things over the vowels. We need your husband here to say I know. (laughs) Read this word into the mic and then then leave the room. Yeah. So Jean-Martin Charcot was influenced by mesmerism, actually, and he, he had a beef with this guy named Bernheim. Bernheim's idea was that anyone can be hypnotized because it's basically suggestion. It's basically kind of a state of mind. Hmm. Charcot believed that hypnotism was an abnormal state and it was only found in hysterical women. Oh. I know. <laughs> oh, she sounded uh-huh. so disappointed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, buddy. Fine. Oh, but Oh, man. Oh, bud. No, that's not right. Yeah, spoiler alert, he was wrong. (laughs) But Genet believed it was actually more about dissociation. Now, put a pin in that, we're going to get back to it. And so Freud was actually totally into hypnotism at the beginning of his kind of psychology career. He thought that hypnotism was really important in giving patients a catharsis, which is kind of making them realize something about themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. And he would use it to help people recover repressed memories. We'll put a pin in that, too. We'll talk about that later. But he eventually abandoned it to focus on psychoanalysis because he realized that the catharsis moment could happen without hypnotism as an aid. So that's kind of when he started on the psychoanalysis road. I'm not going to go too far into a lot of these because other people did other things. I mean, I mean, this was... <laughs> this people were like, very busy about hypnosis. Yes, this is in like the, the mid-1800s. So we're going we're gonna to skip a little bit to a man named Emile Cue. Wow, I'm impressed. I don't know. That sounded good. C-O-U-E. Cue? Okay. Cue? And he focused on something called autosuggestion. This was about 1900. Basically, he thought it was less about like a deep sleep or relaxation state and more about a series of suggestions. So he did things called suggestion tests to kind of connect hypnosis with that. In about 1933, a man named Clark L. Hull compiled lab studies that proved sleep and hypnosis have nothing in common. (laughs) Yes, so he eventually helped develop a behavioral psychology approach to hypnosis, and that basically means it was equating it to conditioned reflexes. So we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before, Mm -hmm. where we talked about Pavlov and how we talked about conditioning. So he thought that hypnosis was more about basically doing something like that very quickly, like making a conditioned reflex happen 
very quickly. Hmm. This viewpoint replaced Freud's ideas of hypnosis connecting to the unconscious mind, which was what had kind of prevailed before. And then Dave Ellman was a radio host. This was in, oh, I did not write the year, mid-1900s. Mid he was a radio host, a comedian, a songwriter. He eventually became known for his hypnosis. So he was kind of an entertainer when he did it. However, he actually had a unique method of inducing hypnosis. It was made for speed to put people in a hypnotic quickly. state really quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was later adapted for use by medical professionals. Hmm. Yes. Now we get to nowadays, kind of the later half of the 20th century and on, that hypnosis is mainly used in conjunction with cognitive behavioral therapy. This is basing hypnosis on it being, I saw the term, non-deceptive placebo. Basically, like, we're going to make you think a thing is happening. It's not going to be real, but it's going to still happen. But it's not because we've done anything to change it. It's just because you believe it. I'm uh, being very confused. This is my okay. confused look. It's fine. I, I know. I know. <laughs> what? I don't get it. So last episode, we talked about the placebo effect in studies. Yes. Where we, like in a drug trial, if we give someone a placebo, like a literal drug placebo, mm -hmm. that they may think symptoms are happening because of this placebo, which is actually not affecting them at all. Right. So basically, this is equating hypnosis to you're going to alleviate symptoms or have symptoms based on nothing changing inside of you, right. just on you believing it's happening. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to lie to you about it. We're telling you that's what's going on. So it's non-deceptive. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But isn't that weird that that can work if you know it's not? I know. That's if you know it's placebo. This is where my tinfoil hat comes out, okay? Yeah. That's yeah. where I start to get like, ah, okay. It's hard, to, it's hard to wrap your brain around. Okay. Can I tell you about some of the things it's used for nowadays, hypnosis? Nowadays, yes. Nowadays. It is used for several things, actually. Coping with stress and anxiety, uh, mm -hmm. particularly before a medical procedure. And during medical procedures, it's used for pain control. Like burn treatment during cancer. Childbirth is a really popular time that hypno Use. hypnosis is used. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So irritable bowel syndrome. I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> you just go into hypnosis and they're like, stop pooping. <laughs> Wake. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. That's so sad. I just copy and paste it. I did. This is this whole beginning of the episode is like you know when you had to do a report in school and you went up there with just like a copy and pasted paper and you're just reading it like oh you're like learning along with the class like oh this is fun oh okay. I didn't know that and they're like this is your report and you're like yeah this is what's happening right now to me <laughs> hearing that happen in real time thank you, thank you for being authentic <laughs> like irritable balsander that's weird huh <laughs> sometimes you crack me up Anna you crack yeah, me up sometimes <laughs> most of the time thank you thank you thank you I need that validation <laughs> I need to be funny right now because I'm certainly not knowledgeable I have two things I do sometimes <laughs> yeah, I'm smart I know things and I say funny, funny things and I can't do both at the same time apparently <laughs> My stomach kind of hurts from laughing so much. Is that... <laughs> That's good. That's good news. Temporomandibular joint problems. <laughs> what does that mean? Does <laughs> it temporomandibular mean? <laughs> TMJ. I know. TMJ. Oh, it is TMJ. 
Yeah, that's why I don't call it that name. I call it TMJ. It's warm. So hot up here. And headaches. 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 Went from one big one to a little one. Okay. Hot flashes, which I'm having now also. Behavior change, which is kind of what we will talk about when we talk about hypnotherapy as opposed to just regular hypnosis. So it's been used with some success in the treatment of insomnia, bedwetting, smoking cessation, and overeating. I actually used to work with a guy who did it for smoking cessation, um, and he, he said it was really effective. Cancer treatment side effects. This kind of goes in the category of pain control, I would say, like symptom management yeah. for that. And also mental health conditions like, like I said, anxiety, but also phobias, which are anxiety as well, and post-traumatic stress, which is also anxiety. So just anxiety, mainly. Anxiety. Anxiety. A lot. Yeah. A, lot a lot of use for anxiety. So now that I'm all sweaty, <sighs> how... That was a lot of knowledge you poured out right there. That was a lot, and also a lot of (laughs) non-knowledge. (laughs) Anti-knowledge. So, Mom, how does hypnosis do? (laughs) How does it do? What makes it work? What does does it do? How does it go? What does it do? I also have a lot of knowledge here lying in front of me, and not sure. My issue is I never know where to start. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of go back to one of the things that you said that somebody, that one dude in there in the middle, <laughs> said. I lightning round them. Which, which one? The dude in the middle that said that hypnosis really is not about subconscious and, and there's nothing about sleep involved. Oh, in Clark L. Hall. Yeah, Clark. I'm going to call bullcrap on Clark. <laughs> I disagree. He's not here. (laughs) He was in the middle and didn't really know what he was talking about or something. I don't know. I would like to start with just the idea that I think sometimes when we hear the word hypnosis, we have all these pictures in our mind of what it is. And and it's usually from entertainment that we have those notions. or stuff. Right. Exactly. But in reality, the, the basis of hypnosis is just basically a deep state of relaxation. That's kind of what it is yes. boiled down to. So our brain basically have these brain waves, <laughs> and there are four kinds of brain waves. Yes, yes. Uh, the first one is called beta waves, and that's when we're awake and alert, and we're doing our thing, and mm-hmm. we're thinking and acting. And and then alpha waves are a little bit slower, and that's when we're kind of chilling. You know, like reading a book or watching a movie. And we're, we're kind of disengaged, though. We're kind of letting our brain just float. We're not actively. Right. But we're not, we're not all the way floated away. And then there's theta waves. Theta waves would be what are usually happening when we're being hypnotized, if it's actually happening. But we do this every day. All of us have theta waves when we're just about to go to sleep. You know that state right before you go to sleep when you kind of start to... Sometimes you jump because mm-hmm. you fall in, you know, like in your mind the or whatever. Hypnagogic jerk. Exactly. I like how you say that. Jerk. You're a hypnagogic jerk. <laughs> Who you call a jerk? Who you call a hypnagogic jerk? <laughs> and then right before we wake up, if we're not awoken by like abrupt alarm clock, but like if you're just, if you can sleep in that day mm-hmm. and you kind of come out of a little bit and you lay You'll there wake and up you naturally. kind of sort of dream a little and then you go back and yeah, those are our theta waves. And then when we're actually in sleep, it's delta waves. Yes. So... Ideally speaking, if a person is hypnotized to a deeper degree, they are having theta brainwaves. Not delta, though. No. Delta is sleep waves. Right. So, yeah. So, I guess I shouldn't have totally called bullcrap on him. <laughs> Sorry, Clark. So, so when, the, when the hypnotist says sleep, he doesn't really mean... It's not actually sleep. Delta wave right. sleep. He means, you know, he doesn't mean like get your blankie and snore. So, 
Exactly. <laughs> Sleep. Let me read you good night, moon. Right. Let me give you warm milk. Exactly. Basically what happens is that our brain pushes away our critical faculty basically is bypassed it's pushed away our consciousness is kind of pushed away to the side critical faculty i like that i like that too i sound, kind of sound like i knew faculty. what i was doing that's right? like a, a really cool indie band name <sighs> or a really smart group of teachers who work together there you I go. Guess, are the critical faculty but when we do that then our subconscious is opened up mm-hmm. and that's the idea of hypnosis it's also basically the idea of just meditation which we will put a pin in and put a pin that we got lots of pins lots going of pins. on at this point i think i took out one of the pins okay so let me tell you though specifically about a study that showed and i was thinking this is kind of like an experiment actually we talked about experiments in our last episode but this is a study so it's not really experiment. Are, aren't they what's the difference there are some things that make them different, but let's Isn't not like go into that right now. this like a square rectangle sort of situation? Like <laughs> a cube or square? Like all experiments are studies, but not all studies are experiments? I think that's exactly okay. it. Okay. So there is a man who's actually very into the whole study of hypnosis, and his name is David Spiegel. He's a psychiatrist at Stanford University. Stanford. <laughs> Stanford comes through again. Stanford. He did a study not too long ago, 2016. So oh, it's a pretty yeah, new one. That's okay. Recent. In their study, they started with 545 healthy participants because the first thing they did was they screened for mental illness, serious mental illness, because it has kind of been shown in research that certain subjects who have serious mental illness should not use hypnosis. Yes, I saw that in my right. research too. Yeah, because of hallucinations and delusions and right. things like that. So out of 545, they got down to only 36 people Dang. who scored extremely high on I can never say this right hypnotizable (laughs) because in the general public the researchers say that about 10 percent of the general public it's always 10 percent I know there's (laughs) 10 percent card they pull out of their pocket so one out of 10 people are highly (laughs) hypnotizable I knew I couldn't do it I read I read that somewhere where there's like 20 characteristics of highly hypnotizable people Uh that's like a lot I know I know to meet and it doesn't mean that the other nine in the group of 10 cannot be hypnotized at all but it just means that they're not as likely to go as deep and to be as open to the suggestions made in hypnosis because that's the idea that we open up the subconscious and then we plant suggestions into our subconscious the term I found for it was hypnotic susceptibility ooh and there's 20 things that they listed as like, and some of them they talked about were like, if they are kind of daydreamers in yeah. regular the life. real creative people. Yeah. yeah. Which to me just says, oh, they kind of zone out anyway. Exactly. You want to read the 20 or you uh, want to read some of the I was trying to find 20? it. I can't oh. find the actual list. You look for that while I, I do will. this, the rest of the brain thing. Okay. It, rest he, of the brain thing. He yeah. did... Spiegel did talk about some of those characteristics, but he didn't have that long of a list. So he had 36 people who consistently scored high. So they were chosen to be the group that was the ones they were going to hypnotize. They chose 21 people out of the 545 who scored extremely low. And they were the control group. Okay. So they had a control group. I like that. Yeah. And so the way they did this was each of the participants was measured using a functioning magnetic... Oh, there's those magnets again. Magnetic... Um, Mesmerizing. Uh, 
resonance imaging, which for those of us who don't use those kind of words, it's basically MRI, an MRI. Right? You got it. You got it. You got TMJ. I got MRI. <laughs> it's one, so, one. So it's basically an MRI. And an MRI, a functioning MRI, measures our brain activity by looking at the flow of the blood in our brain. Like which part of our brain is functioning now? Mm-hmm. Now what? Mm-hmm. That's basically what an MRI does. So each participant was measured in that way with an MRI in four states. Resting state, remembering state. So they're supposed to be remembering something from the past, actively remembering. And then two different states of hypnosis. So they were measured for each of those things. I found some list if you want me to. Yeah. Tell us about who's more hypnotizable. So this is, in 1981, Cheryl Wilson and T.X. Barber reported that most of a group of extremely high hypnotizables, which Mm -hmm. is a cool enough word, but then they called them fantasizers. Mm -hmm. Um, The fantasizers exhibited a certain number of traits. And so it was like fantasizing much of the time, reporting their imagery was as vivid as their real life, which... That's a hallucination, right? <laughs> Let's just say, there's a fine That's, line we, there. We call that hallucination, so I don't know. Having physical responses to their imagery, having an earlier than average age for their first childhood memory, recalling imaginary playmates, so imaginary friends in their childhood, um, having grown up with parents who encouraged imaginative play. So like you said, really creative, really imaginative people. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I think of fantasizing and daydreaming, I think of kind of zoning out. I mean, like, zoning out of the current, like the present, right. and kind of going somewhere else, which is kind of what hypnosis is. So, right. yeah. One of the facts in their study said that those people who have those qualities, mm-hmm. actually through study, they have seen that those type of people actually have a larger, and I don't know about this part of the brain, Rostum, R-O-S-T-U-M. I've Rostum. never heard of that part of the brain. I, but uh, I've seen that it's, word. It's 31 on the average... 31.8% larger than other people. Rost, rost, Rostum. It's a Google's part, like, it's I a, don't know what that I've is. I've never heard of that <laughs> part of the brain that actually, maybe I spelled it wrong on my... Rostrum, maybe? Maybe. Okay, so real quick, let me tell you about what actually was happening with their brain. So these are the things that they saw happening to those who were highly hypnotizable. <laughs> Every time I say hypnotizable. it. Hypnotizable. Hypnosable. Hypnosable. <laughs> Okay, they had a decreased activity in the part of the brain that's called the dorsal anterior cingulate. Cool. Which is part of the salience network, and that is something that contributes to a person's self-awareness by integrating sensory and emotional and cognitive information. So in other words, they don't think about other things. So when when that's happening, that activity is decreased. It makes them not think about other things. They focus on whatever they're supposed to be focused on. Also, at the same time, they have boosted connectivity between two other components of the salience network, and that's the dorsal uh, lateral prefrontal <laughs> cortex. I'm trying to hide it to sound too damned intelligent. <laughs> You're shooting for the <sighs> moon here, Mom. Breath. But you're landing among the stars. I'm really <laughs> proud of you. Dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and insula. Those two parts of the salience network. And what happens there? The insula is it helps to process your functions like your body control and your emotion and empathy and sense of time. And the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex 
among other things, because it does a whole bunch of stuff, is involved in cognition, memory, and decision-making. I found what Rostrum does. Did you? Does. Yeah, it's part of the corpus callosum, which makes like the two hemispheres of the brain talk to each other. Oh, that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. that that's bigger in those people. Mm-hmm. Okay, that... I think the brain is amazing. <laughs> the brain's amazing and there's lots of weird words in there it. There is so much to learn. So in other words, be- what that means, that boosted connectivity that I just said a whole bunch of words that probably didn't mean a lot because I wasn't doing it very well. Basically, your brain knows what's going on in your body, but there's no actions. That kind of goes back to what you said. It might not actually be happening, but they believe it's happening. Right. Kind yeah. of thing. And the last thing, and this is, there there are four things. This is the last thing. There's less connectivity between the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the default mode network. Okay. And the default, default network. mode Wait network, I just me... love that. Sounds like. Yeah. That sounds like a computer thing. So it is it, it just like our regular state of being? It's actually many parts of your brain that work together and are active when your mind wanders and is thinking about, but thinking about a lot of things. Right. Thinking about self, future, past. So it's like a whole bunch going on. So there's, again, there's a disconnect between our actions and our awareness of actions. Right. So that's like when people act like a chicken when they're hypnotized and they don't really think I'm acting like a chicken. They actually act like a chicken and think they are. But... (laughs) (laughs) you know the whole point of this test or this research was basically to show that hypnosis does actually something actually happens in our brains it's not just a bunch of hooey fooey right that there is actually something going on in our brain but that there are certain types of people whose brains work in such a way that makes it easier for them to do that than others of us. One of the hopes of these researchers was that perhaps at some point in time, because now they know what fires in the brain, that for future use, this is a little scary in my mind, they now know what parts of the brain are they're learning, what parts of the brain you could stimulate to make a person be more susceptible to hypnosis. I don't like that. That opens kind of a scary door, doesn't it? The scary door. The scary door is open. The bottom line, though, that you and I were talking about is even with all this research, and there's several things out there about the research, we really are in a place, because that study was just 2016. We're in a place where research is going on now. I mean, there's a lot we don't get about hypnosis. Well, especially when it comes to hypnosis, and we talked in our dreams episodes about how much, how little we know about dreams and sleep. I mean, there's just a lot of that kind of altered state stuff we just don't Mm -hmm. know much about. But if you think, like if you're listening and you think, oh, I could never be hypnotized. You might be right. I, yeah, some, <laughs> of us, some of us are going to stand firm on that. Yeah. But one thing that you can kind of think about is, you know those times like when you're watching a movie mm-hmm. and you kind of, you've had a long day and you're just kind of chilling and you're not really engaged in like trying to figure out the plot or anything. You're just kind of floating there. You're basically, your brain waves are an alpha at that point because you're not really thinking about what else do I have to do or why is that character doing that you're just floating along the storyline and you get emotional and you might even like somebody sitting beside you go oh you're crying over this movie and all of a sudden you think well oh I am what am I crying about but in that moment that's almost like a hypnotic trance because your alpha waves have slowed down to such a point that you're not really thinking about what you're doing you're just going along with the suggestion of the movie And the suggestion of the movie might be something sad or something happy that brings about your emotions. So we do kind of stick our toe in the water 
of hypnosis slash meditation without even thinking about it. I mean, when I do something like progressive muscle relaxation with some of my clients, that's, that's exactly it. Kind of a hypno. I mean, it's a meditative thing. And when we tell clients to do like uh, imagery, I don't mm. know if you've done like safe place imagery mm. with some time. of your clients. Yeah. yeah. So like that's, I mean, a form of at least some kind of hypnotic state exactly where you're right. going somewhere else. You're putting your brain into a different place. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about, because I would kind of like to slide into kind of hypnotherapy. Let's do that. And mainly I would say let's talk about some of the concerns that people have about hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I have when I think about hypnotherapy. I'll be honest. Like, this is a place where I know about myself that I have some walls up about hypnosis just because it seems too alternative medicine for me. You know? You know what I'm saying? For me, it's an issue of control. That Yeah. I'm a controlling too. person. And yeah, I don't like the idea that maybe somehow I... got somehow that from I, you. <laughs> I got it from watching you. I got it from watching you. <laughs> yeah. I don't... Mm. Actually, you did get it from watching me, which goes back to the brainwaves again, because one of the things that I read that I thought was really cool is that children up to about age six, depending on the child, their brainwaves are quite often during the day in theta. (laughs) Little kids are just always zoned zoned out. out. (laughs) (laughs) They're just always, if you look at a kid and they just look like like they're like (laughs) totally blank, they are. That's it. Speaking as a past kindergarten teacher. I could totally That's relate to that. Should, look. Sometimes they just stand there and like look <laughs> at a place. Yeah. And and parents are like, are they okay? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, this yeah, is how their brain's working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they really seriously do that. If the next time you see like a three or four year old just standing there dazed, you know, looking to nothing. That's really actually what's happening. And so then if you think of it kind of like visually, if you think about that in Theta, your critical faculties are pushed aside. So the little guy is not thinking, what's two plus two? He's pushing all of that critical faculty, which at three or four, you don't have a whole lot of that going on. <laughs> There's pushed, not much there anyway. Pushing a little bit aside. And so then their subconscious is wide open. And so the idea, which is both good and bad, is that that little child up to age six is wide open for us to be planting things in their subconscious that's why it's monkey see monkey do with little Mm. kids so that's why it's so important with our little ones that we realize that if we are a person who is very emotional or has anger management problems or whatever we might not be doing it to the child but they're observing it and we're planning that in their subconscious that that's how a grown-up acts right so that's that's a scary lot of responsibility for parents so yes, you did learn it from me, Anna. So much. I'm so I mean, sorry. It serves me fine. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm really fine. I'm really fine. So I mean, I, I got to be honest. It's really hard to find research on like hypnotherapy. Yep. Because it's very often, like I said, it's qualified as an alternative medicine, and I saw a few things that said there's not like there were never there were never studies that were like no we have proved that hypnosis is not effective. They're basically saying like we don't have sufficient research to say these methods are very effective. Mm-hmm. Like when it comes to hypnosis in in terms of therapy. Anecdotally, I have met several people that like went through hypnosis to do like like I said I worked with someone who does it for smoking cessation and he says it's really helpful. Now, let's try to analyze that because I can't find anything about it. But, like, if we're talking about hypnosis and what it does to us and and kind of the suggestion piece of it, how does that work with how we use it in therapy? Mm -hmm. Mainly for, like, stopping behaviors or treating anxiety. 
It is, in my opinion, even though you, I, it, there's kind of a crossover because you use those CBT techniques of planting those thoughts. Right. But yet when I hear about it, I think it's very Freudian, in my opinion, because what, we, what we're basically believing is that we get them to a state of such relaxation that they're open, their subconscious is open. That's what I think. And then so you, like- you plant in their subconscious things like, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of when you're getting on that airplane. There's nothing right. to fear. And-, and if we're not talking about subconscious, then we're talking about, if I'm trying to get my brain in a CBT place, because that's not usually where my brain is. But if you're talking about like pushing that clinical Cri- faculty thing mm-hmm. aside, mm-hmm. then I think in anxiety cases and stuff, that's the clinical faculty part is where those, we call them recordings. You and I call them recordings. Right, right. So like the things that we think about ourselves and about the world that are that are not healthy, right? that's where that's stored. So if those things get pushed aside and someone's coming in and giving us positive suggestions, we are less likely to fight them off with the stuff that we always think. I think the recordings are stored in our subconscious, but we replay them so much that they're always in our critical faculty. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's both. I mean, when we actually live in those. Yeah. And most of us do live in them. And so, yes, I agree. Because the idea, too, of hypnosis is that you basically quiet the mind. You completely shut down those recordings Mm -hmm. so then that you can trumpet, so to speak. You can play over it. You know? Yeah, you can kind of fight fire with fire right. instead of like going through this subconscious layer right. and then the conscious layer and then all Well, this. and this goes back physiologically that the idea of hypnosis, and now I'm going to start to say meditation as well, because like when you and I do mm-hmm. it, I prefer to call that guided meditation and because yeah. I'm not it. I'm not a hypnotist. Right. But I mean, I do that with my clients every once in a while. So you you do that where... Well, and even, I mean, something I talk about with my clients all the time is deep breathing. And deep breathing is one of the key components of of hypnosis from what I've seen is just like getting them in a relaxed state. And so the whole idea of deep breathing and relaxing, like you said, muscle relaxation. And when we do that, physiologically, our blood pressure slows down, our heart rate slows down. And so there are changes in our physical body right. that reduce some of the stress. So that helps us to be able to then open Going up our, our mind a little more. Yeah. Okay. So can we talk about kind of an elephant in the room, at least for me, when it comes to hypnotic regression mm-hmm. and how no yeah that's scary don't, i don't like that because i think the main the main concern with hypnotic regression to me is false memory creation right and i just don't i don't like the idea and of that's a that. serious issue that comes up in a lot of research yes that's like the number one reason that people are critical of Right. Hypnosis. And the reason I found for that is because in a hypnotic state, there is something called memory hardening, mm-hmm. which is the process of someone's confidence in their memories being solidified. But if those memories are false, if they're being implanted by suggestion, but we're hardening on them like, oh, yes, this actually happened, mm-hmm. then that's where the danger comes in. And it doesn't have to be like somebody is saying to you, you know, when you were five years old, you were sexually abused. Right. It's not that kind of, it's like, did anyone touch you when you were five years old? Becomes twisted a little and your memories are, what's that word, malleable. Yeah, yeah. And And so you kind of start to... We'll do, I'd like to do a whole episode on memory because I think Mm -hmm. that's fascinating. But the Mm -hmm. way our memories work, it's very unreliable, Mm -hmm. I guess. Like that just if we go in there, especially when we go in, when we're in that deep of a state of relaxation and we're kind of working with the direct 
memories and stuff, Mm -hmm. then it can get real messy real quick. But on the other hand, I also found people saying like, okay, so if you have a person in hypnosis, they might have a negative reaction to the hypnosis based on the feeling like they are re-experiencing a past trauma. If an actual trauma is present right. and you're going in to deal with it with hypnosis, that may be too quick. Of, it's like throwing someone in the deep end of a pool. That that reaction may be too much and that experience may be too much for them to handle. Mm-hmm. So kind of either way, it can go bad if you're dealing with memories and like traumatic memories that if there's nothing there, you may implant it. And if there's something there, it may be too much, mm-hmm. too fast. So mm, I don't, uh, that's where hypnosis gets weird for me. If the mm-hmm. people are using it for memory regression, like I don't really have a problem with smoking cessation, stuff like that. And like eating disorders, I've seen it used for eating disorders and pains, all those things. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But when it gets to memory regression, that's, that's when it gets weird. Mm-hmm. And then there's also something called command hypnosis. Did you see this? Mm-mm. Command hypnosis is... So we've talked about like the suggestions that people use during hypnosis. And this is suggestion that's basically brainwashing where the hypnotic state is used to influence a person's beliefs and attitudes and emotions and all that stuff. Mm. This is used in a process called auditing in Scientology. Ah, yes. 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 That is kind of putting them into a hypnotic state and Mm -hmm. then messing Mm -hmm. with their beliefs. So Mm -hmm. this is a concept that is used for nefarious purposes, Mm -hmm. probably more often than people would like to, to think about. I have a very personal story about that, about mom. Yes. My mom was a very spiritual person, mm-hmm. grew up Catholic, Christian, and and grew up, you know, like during the Depression. So so her Catholicism was very structured. And, sure. But as she got older, her faith became much more personal to her. However, in her late 20s, she had terrible migraine headaches. Mm-hmm. And so she was going to a chiropractor who was actually helping her headaches a great deal. And I don't want to say anything bad about chiropractors because I love my chiropractor. But this particular chiropractor introduced her to Scientology techniques. It was actually, you've told me it was hypnosis, but I didn't know it was no, Scientology. No, they did the whole transcendental meditation. So, because there's two different stories about my mom. One is about childbirth with a licensed hypnotherapist yes. person who actually helped her with childbirth. She did this. The story I'm telling you now happened first, okay? Gotcha. So she, and so auditing was what specifically she, as I became an adult, she told me about that. It was all going great and they were doing this stuff and until one day when she was in that state, an altered state, so to speak, her guide person said to her, what's the one thing that's holding you down? And she said, my Catholic religion or my Catholic faith. I'm not sure how she said it. Which from my mom, and I'm not saying, you know, there's some people who maybe do get to that point in their own realization of changing their denominations or changing their faith beliefs. But my mom was not in that place. It was obviously something that was, she was, this person was directing her towards Scientology. Right. Right. But that was when she stopped going to see him because she said she came out of the trance, so to speak. Yeah. And it was enough to shake her like, this is not me. This is not who I am. Which you and I talked about that research shows that normally 
a person who is mentally healthy mm-hmm. cannot be told to do something that would be against their core morality. Right. So I think that's what happened with mom is that she hit that wall. That's like, why during mm, like hypnotist shows like someone can act like a rooster or something like you said, but it's not, I mean, that's not going against their core. Right. They're not going to ask them to no. take their clothes off in front of people or right. whatever. And I mean, I know sometimes they do that really weird far out there stuff, right. but that's not very But generally ethical. that's not going to, yeah. yeah. So that is a scary thing that, yeah. you know. If it can get to that point, if someone can get. And obviously that didn't happen on her first. No. Auditing is a process that lasts days and days. And builds if, up. If, yeah. yeah if, months if, as I. Yeah, yeah, that too. So, I mean, like, it's a process through which, very scarily, it's a process through which people gain your trust and get to that point in the process with you. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of the dark shadow version of therapy, really. Right. It's it's scary. But yes, that is that is used in... That's kind of the far end of It the is the far spectrum. end, but it is going on. I mean, mm-hmm. that is a thing that happens. So I think it's worth It's one of those things it. that for you, who has some skepticism and fears and concerns about, mm-hmm. would it would really play for you. Yes. But... On the lighter side of hypnosis, it, <laughs> it also has a lot of similarities to other things. Like we already talked about that we do like uh, safe space visualizations yeah, with visualization. clients and stuff. And even just the muscle relaxations with some clients, I don't think that they would go for the whole imagery thing. So we right. just relax our muscles. Focus on the yeah. physical of it. Yeah. yeah. With deep breathing and muscle relaxation, that's kind of along the same lines. Right. So. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Was there anything else you wanted to say about concerns or anything? You know, when you look up what the side effects are of hypnosis, the side effects are very rare. And the only things that I could come up with, the the biggest one is sometimes people, when they come out of hypnosis, they have a headache or drowsiness Mm -hmm. or sometimes dizziness. But they say usually that's because their blood pressure went so low Hmm. that it makes them have a headache afterwards or it makes them kind of dizzy or tired. The other thing is that there have been some reports of like feeling anxious afterwards but one of the researchers said that's probably because the person doing the hypnosis brought them out too abruptly and that some people when they're real deep and then they're brought out really fast it would be like falling off a cliff you know yeah. yeah or like waking up out of a real sound sleep but wherever you read the biggest drawback or the biggest concern is false memories that's like the the big that's the biggest concern i saw Yeah. yeah i've actually had clients approach me about that like i have a client who um has some trauma in her past and it's really hard for her to remember it mm-hmm. and she was like would hypnosis help me would hypnosis help me get these memories back and i was like no <laughs> i was like i was flat out like okay first of all i don't know i'm not a hypnotist i the only hypnotists i've ever worked with have not done memory work i, mm-hmm. I would not recommend it just because i think there is such a risk that it's not it's like pros cons it's not worth the cons basically but I think it's important that we say that there are people out there who specialize, who that's their degree and that's what they, so I'm, I'm being the other side of the, I'm trying to be, you know, okay. equal and fair re- representation. I'm with you, Anna. I I just think it can do I, more harm than good. I agree that it's because very risky. Because I, I am of the belief that eventually through my work with this person, we will get to those memories mm-hmm. just through trust and through critical thinking and critical analysis and self-insight. Because ideally you're going to do the same thing, which is to push away yes. the consciousness think, so that the unconscious can open Yeah, up. I mean, I think that the other concern I talked about, which is, okay, so if they actually have trauma and they're going to do this hypnosis thing and they come out and they like 
have all these memories now. Like, that's too much too soon, isn't right. it? Like, that's, I don't know. It just, I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't like that idea. I don't like it. I don't I like do it, it and I won't do it. So don't do it. No, no, I'm not. Okay, don't. Thank you. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not. So let's talk about similarity to meditation. Um, like we've already kind of talked about how it's similar to like safe space visualizations mm-hmm. and progressive muscle relaxation. And I mean, to me, meditation is just kind of self-hypnosis. Mm-hmm. That just you're getting yourself into a deep state. Um, hypnosis is usually is usually used for a purpose, like to plant suggestions in your subconscious, like don't smoke anymore mm-hmm. or don't poop anymore or whatever. Stop pooping. <laughs> Stop pooping. Whatever. <laughs> um, on the other side of that, in meditation, ideally, or the, are you okay? I have the hiccups. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had the hiccups during a podcast. We've had burpees, but we haven't had hiccups. No, that's true. Something new. Hold your breath. Okay. While she's holding her breath, I will say, in meditation, it's more likely that we are not planning any new ideas. We're just kind of Focusing on the ideas we already have, basically. Right. We're pushing off the distraction so that we can be more centered, kind of. Either centered and thinking about a particular thought or centered and emptying ourselves of everything. So just like open up our subconscious and let let it just kind of be open and empty and free of anxiety and that kind of thing. So it's more the purpose that differentiates and also that usually in hypnosis usually you do have someone helping you with that in meditation meditation, well you do too i mean some people consider like yoga meditation that's true so okay screw that idea (laughs) (laughs) and it just blew that idea right out of the water (laughs) in something that does not have someone helping you through it uh, on a more personal note i would like to mention how close it is to dissociation Mm-hmm. That okay. So if you don't know what dissociation is, it's basically feeling like you're not connected to your own body or your own emotions or your own identity. A lot of people describe dissociation as like physically leaving your body, like being able to look down at your body, like floating. Like that's a dissociation. Uh, it's very common in people with trauma. On a personal note, I have I have experienced dissociation. I've struggled with dissociation with my kind of anxiety depression stuff. So to me, like, the dissociation is just another kind of putting your brain away and going to mm-hmm. an, a, a backing going away to the from yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a maladaptive form of, like, a trance-like state. But when I'm dissociating, it's very trance-like. It's very, like, I'm doing a thing, but I'm also kind of over here and I'm I'm looking at myself and I'm realizing that I'm not me and it's it's very alarming but to me it is they're sim- they kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. that they are similar experiences. Maybe that's why I have such a problem with hypnosis is just cuz it seems similar to me. Mm-hmm. Like and I don't like when so I that's associate. A scary thing. Yeah. Yes, so I um so maybe that's why but I I think that those kind of in the category of altered states I I think those all kind of are similar to each other. That's good. You can even think about, I mean, because everybody, even if you've never had that kind of dissociation, you've never experienced that personally, I think everybody in the world, at least who's an adult and probably most children as well, have had one of those times where you're so physically tired and you're just kind of like sitting there and you literally are staring off in a distance 
Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you're not in your body. Your it's like you feel, focused. yeah, you feel like you're kind of floating right above your body. Yeah, and that's because it's a bit, of, yeah, it's a bit of dissociation. It's because of your brain waves. Right, your brain waves have slowed down so much that you're dissociating. You're kind of pulling out of your body a little bit. Right, it doesn't have to do with trauma or anything. It's just fatigue. To go along with dissociation, this is interesting. I found something that said that individuals with dissociative identity disorder have the highest hypnotizability of any clinical group, followed by those with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I would say that's because of the dissociation, because that kind of fits in with that hypnotizability thing. Exactly. They are aware of how it feels to be away from your body Mm -hmm. and kind of go into that state. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Can we talk about some more fun stuff? We're getting yeah, toward the end of the episode. Do, let's do something fun as we end. All right. So, Is there anything fun? Yeah. Yeah. There's some fun <laughs> stuff. So when we talk about hypnosis, I think, first of all, we get a lot of our ideas from pop culture. Mm-hmm. There are... I mean, hypnosis is kind of just an entertainment thing at this point. I remember when I was in college, an undergrad... That we had a hypnotist come in and like do a show Mm -hmm. and like brought my classmates up on stage and like made them run around to do weird things. Yeah. (laughs) I was trying to think of chicken. I was like, that sounds familiar. Did they actually do that? But I don't remember. That's kind of a shtick they do. Maybe, maybe, maybe made them be chickens. But (laughs) but yeah, like it was I mean it was a it was an entertainment thing. So I think it's used in that that it's it is hard for some of us, including me, to take it seriously when it comes to like using it in a medical field or using it in therapy i mean i think that there's kind of a weird line where when we appropriate something to be an entertainment thing that it's like how can this be serious right so it's it's used like that sometimes it's also used in pop culture so there are popular books and stories that kind of take use of this idea. There's an Edgar Allan Poe story called The Facts in the Case of M. Valdehar that talks about hypnosis. There are two different Ambrose Bierce short stories. There is a Dean Koontz book called False Memory that I had to mention because Dean Koontz is one of my favorite yeah, authors. Yeah. There are a series of books... They're from Madeline Lawrence, and they're they're recent. They're like 2009, 2011. It has a forensic hypnotherapist who's the protagonist. It's called A Hypnotic Suggestion, and the sequel is Why Kill a Parapsychologist? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of fun. It's interesting. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's used as uh, kind of a device. It's featured in movies like uh, Goodwill Hunting. There's a scene where, if you've never seen Goodwill Hunting, please see it. It's a great it's therapy really movie. I, had a, I don't think I told you this. I had a client who uh, this week was like, you know, I thought therapy would be more like Goodwill Hunting. And I, and I was like, me too, brother. <laughs> it's like you and me both. So uh, Goodwill Hunting, there's a scene where the main character, he goes to a hypnotherapist and he like is riffing on the hypnotherapist and pretending to be hypnotized. So mm. it's kind of a like, I'm too intellectual to be hypnotized kind of thing. Uh <laughs> used in the Zoolander movie. It's used in Donnie Darko. It's used in Office Space. So it's often, I would say, used as a comedic... Right, as a joke. Yes. Yeah. Either as a joke or something scary, like in yeah. scary movies. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then it goes into memory regression, and we already talked ah. about that. I also would like to talk about highway hypnosis. And this is the kind of hypnosis that I think most people who drive will have experienced. So this is also known as white line fever, which is fun. But this is when you're driving. <laughs> Sounds scary. You know, white line white fever. line fever. It's when you're driving and you're responding to things like safely and correctly. Like if someone kind of stops in front of you, you'll go into the other lane mm-hmm. and you'll, you're driving okay. 
but then after you're driving you like don't remember, remember driving doing it yeah yes so this goes back to um it's a process called automaticity i think <laughs> i don't know how you say it but it's basically the process where the brain can focus on more than one thing if one of them doesn't need as much focus like with low level details mm. and that's usually done by like practice or repetition so that's why people who have been driving for a long time experience highway hypnosis a lot easier just because it's kind of muscle memory at that point. Right. And then you pull into your driveway and you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, did I stop at all the stoplights? Yeah, did exactly. I, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're like, did I do everything? But you did yeah. because that's mm-hmm. just part of your muscle memory. Mm-hmm. So that's, if you're, if you're kind of been listening to this episode and you're like, this is a crock. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe I don't this. Do <laughs> I don't know. That the highway hypnosis is kind of a trance-like state that is very close to hypnosis. Mm -hmm. And again, like we've talked about meditation and stuff, like there's a lot of things that kind of fall into this category where even people like me who are pretty skeptical can look at it and say, okay, when it's framed like that, maybe I can see where it's coming from. I don't know. The last thing I would like to say about it is that one of the researchers that I was reading about said this thing about, for him, the cool thing about it and of course, he didn't say it that way because he was a researcher. So he used a whole bunch of big words. But the intellectual blah, blah, thing about it. But it basically boiled down to our brains are so freaking amazing. <laughs> and there's so <laughs> Which we've much, said several times on yes, this podcast. That basically for human brains, the thought of being or doing whatever, there's nothing that's impossible for the human brain if it's used in the way that it was designed to right. be used or whatever. So even in hypnosis, the idea that a person can be put into the state where they can actually believe they're a chicken. You know, they <laughs> that they actually believe, you know, their their subconscious is telling them they are a chicken. It's just in a very silly way, it's showing that we can dream anything and what we dream then we can make happen and mm-hmm. It's just another time where you, you look at... If you can believe it, you can achieve it. Exactly. That's That should be the end right there. <laughs> Boom. End of episode. Boom. Cut. <laughs> Cut and print. <laughs> so we always circle back to self-awareness. How can we do that in this one? I think you can be self-aware of whether or not you accept the idea yeah, of, that of hypnosis being really something that's useful or real or however you want to look at that. And if you don't, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if if you're if it's more a control thing or if mm. it's if it's more a uh, you know, right. it's just too alternative for be me. Be self-aware or, of, yeah. of why you're not. That's good. Okay. Do you want to thank the people for listening? Thank you so <laughs> much for listening to Freudian Sips. We really appreciate you spending your time with us. Yes. If you would like to hear more of us, I don't know why, but <laughs> you, can, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all by the name Freudian Sips Pod. If you like us so much that you want to throw a few bucks our way, you can go to Patreon, where our name is Freudian Sips Pod as well. And please remember to, if you have time, stop by iTunes and leave us a nice rating. Or if you can do that wherever you're listening, please do that. I mean, all those ratings help us bump up and help other people find us. And our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.